welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. During the more quarantine time of the pandemic, the, uh, the boys and I, my three boys, would take bike rides in the morning since the gym was, was closed. As you know, you gym members, it got closed there for a while and you had to come up with other methods, right, to, to exercise. And so the boys and I would take bike rides in the morning and one of our bike ride activities was to count the rabbits that we saw. I know it's riveting entertainment, isn't it? It's just, in, in, hopefully this won't be a rabbit trail. But our highest count one morning was 27. Isn't that incredible? 27, just in a couple streets around our neighborhood. But now when we ride our bikes and count rabbits, it's nowhere near 27. It's only a couple. Why? I know you're really, you're really into this. Why the rabbits are gone? It's because, the, in our neighborhood anyways, the trees and the woods are disappearing. Because houses are being built. Is that happening in your area too? Houses going up all over the place. And the woods disappear, and we don't see as many rabbits anymore. But it's okay in this sense because there's been three houses built across the street from us. And to watch a house be built for a young boy is also an adventure. As the dump trucks come in and the, the nail guns go popping off and the, the, the crane comes in and lowers the roof trusses. Every day they're, I'm coming home and they're saying, Daddy, they did this today. Or the guys were up on the roof or they did whatever it was. And so that's still kind of exciting for a young boy. And I've noticed with every house that has been built near us, even though it's, it's different contractors and different companies, they seem to all be built in the same systematic way. You notice that? It's pretty uniform. You know, I've yet to see one start with the roof or, or, or drop off appliances on an open lot, right? No, they always start in the same way, and any good builder knows how to systematically, step-by-step, build a house. That's what we see in Ephesians chapter 2 today. God systematically, step by step, building his house. Ephesians 2 verses 19 through 22 is, is God's greatest building project. The greatest building project that God undertakes. I'm going to read verse 19 first here and kind of talk through that in order to set the scene of what God's doing here in these verses. Verse 19, Ephesians 2 He says, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. When Paul writes Ephesians, he's writing to Gentiles who have believed in Jesus Christ. He's reminding them through verse 19, he's reminding them of what they used to be in comparison to what they are now. You were strangers and foreigners, But now you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And to understand this, we need to jump back up in the chapter a little bit. Go back up with me to verse 11. 11, 12, and 13 give us kind of the backstory here, or a summary of it. In verse 11, it says, Therefore remember that you, remember he's writing Gentile Christians, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, or the Jewish people, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See, at that time, the time that he's talking about, at that time in verse 12, Gentiles were ethnically and socially separated from the Jews. They were socially distanced, as it were, from the Jewish people. They were outside, more importantly, they were outside the promises and blessings of God to his people. They were on the outside looking in. And even more importantly than that, as it says at the end of verse 12, they were spiritually without God and therefore had no hope. But, verse 13, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. See, God, by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, opens the gospel to the Gentiles, and now regardless of birthright, anyone who comes by the blood of Jesus Christ will be brought near to God. God opens those doors. And in verses 14 through 18, it tells us that God has broken down that separation between Jew and Gentile. He's made them into one new man. And that now both of them can come to God through Christ. Maybe today the the Jew-Gentile thing, it doesn't strike us as it would people in that time period. But think about it in this way. What was true of the Gentiles prior to Pentecost, prior to the beginning of the church, was true of all of us before we came to Christ. We were without God and without hope. We were far away, on the outside, looking in. We were, as verse 19 says, now that we understand this a little bit more, as verse 19 says, we were once strangers and foreigners, But we are no longer. We are no longer strangers and foreigners. We are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Think about it in your own life. Because of Christ, you are not what you were. Praise God. Because of Christ, you are not who you were. Have you ever thought about it in this way? Because of Christ, you are not where you were. Because you were on the outside. You were far away. But you're not there anymore. And I think, I think about this in my life and think about it in your own as well. Where would I be if not for the grace of God and Jesus Christ? I, I don't, for, personally, I don't know where I would be. I do know where I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be here, but for the grace of God. It reminds me of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am who I am. By the grace of God, I am where I am. Only God's grace. This this passage here in Ephesians 2 qualifies as one of those great but now passages of Scripture. We see him throughout the New Testament. Actually, earlier in chapter 2, if you look back there, he starts chapter 2. He says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You walked according to the course of this world. You were the son of your father, the devil, and you were the son of disobedience. Verse 3 says, you were by nature children of wrath. Not a pretty picture. 
But verse 4 comes along and he says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. See that transition? First, it brings to mind 1 Corinthians 6 as well. Verses 9, 10, and 11. Where he says, idolaters and homosexuals and adulterers will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And such were some of you. But now you are washed. But now you are sanctified. But now you are justified by Christ Jesus. There's a passage in Titus 3. Titus 3 verses 3, 4, and 5. Where he says, you were foolish and you were deceived. But now by his mercy he has saved us and washed us and regenerated us by the Holy Spirit. We are no longer, as Paul says in verse 19 here, we are no longer strangers and foreigners. But now we are made fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Instead of being a stranger and a foreigner who was far off, you're now a member of God's house. You're on the inside as a believer in Jesus Christ. I want to read through the rest of our passage here through verse 22. And as we read, take note of the construction or, or housing imagery that he uses. It comes up several times that God is constructing, he's building something. Verse 19, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Did you notice household built cornerstone, building, foundation, temple, dwelling place. I don't know about you, but it seems like God is working at something here. There's, there's a, some sort of building happening here in what God's doing in these verses. In the end of verse 19, he calls us members of the household of God. What is the household of God? What is the household of God? Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, and he says, Timothy, I'm writing to you because I want you to know how to operate, how to function within the house of God, which is the church of the living God. So it's pretty easy to figure out for us what the household of God is. It is the church. The household of God is the church. But before we think too narrowly and we think just this church, though, we need to broaden our perspective a little bit. Because the household, PSLBC, this church is a house of God. But it is not the household of God. You with me on that? Because the household of God answers another question in verse 20. When it says we are, or verse 19, excuse me. When we are fellow citizens with the saints and members. Who are the saints and members of the household of God? So if the household of God is the church, who then are the saints and members of it? The saints and members of the household of God are all who believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation. Not just us here. But other people in Port St. Lucie, in Florida, in the United States, in this hemisphere, in the entire world, are members of the household of God. Collectively, we refer to all people who have trusted in Jesus Christ as what we would call the universal church. That's the household of God. 
Every person that has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is a member of God's broad household. And I want to be very clear with the gospel here because membership in the household of God is exclusive. It only comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no back door. There is no side entrance. You can't squeeze in like a squirrel in the attic. You're not going to get in. It must come through Jesus Christ. Without faith in God, you are an outsider. You're outside the family of God, a stranger and a foreigner. And maybe most importantly, you will pay the penalty for your sin, ultimately. How do I come into the family and household of God? Paul told the Philippian jailer, he said, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That's membership in the household of God. In verse 20, he says, This household of God has been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So here we see some more of this construction imagery, a foundation and a cornerstone. This house that God is building, the foundation of it has already been laid. That's what he says, having been built on the foundation. The foundation, as it says in verse 20, is the New Testament apostles and prophets. Now this is New Testament, don't think Old Testament. When he says apostles and prophets, we're talking New Testament people. And you can see that in verse, or chapter 3 and chapter 4. Clarify for us the apostles and prophets that he's referring to. Say who, Well, really more specifically than just the people of the apostles and prophets, but really specifically the doctrines and teachings that they established is what the church is built on. So who are those people, the apostles and prophets? Would be the 12 disciples of Christ, the apostle Paul, other early church leaders like Jesus' brothers, James and Jude. We see some of these people show up in Acts. You say, well, why these men as the foundation, he says here, of the church? Why these men? Well, they are the ones, the, the, the men that God chose to lay the foundation of the church by taking the message of Christ far and near. Some of them, many of them wrote inspired scripture. They were the ones who established the core teaching on which the household of God is built. We come along later having that foundation already laid by them. This is the core teachings of the church. We come and build up on top of that. You think about those people, though, the 12 disciples, the, the other ones, the Apostle Paul. Why, they why are they chosen to be the foundation and cornerstone? Were they perfect men? Not by a long stretch. So then is the foundation of the church perfect? Yes. How? The foundation is these imperfect men, but the foundation of the church is perfect. He says it's built on the foundation, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That's how. The cornerstone of the church is Christ. In ancient building techniques, the cornerstone was the most important piece of the structure. They would not start in the middle of the foundation and work out from there. They would start with a cornerstone because the cornerstone is the squaring stone of the foundation. Your angles get right. The building is positioned right. And here with Christ as the cornerstone, 
he squares it. He aligns the foundation. He secures the foundation. That's why the foundation is perfect. If the cornerstone of a building is askew, guess what? The building is askew. And without Christ as the foundation of the apostles and prophets, or without Christ as the cornerstone, the foundation that the apostles and prophets, they would just be a hodgepodge of blocks that don't quite align right. But with Christ as the cornerstone, it all aligns. If the cornerstone is askew, the building is askew. Well, let me ask you this. Is Christ ever askew? Therefore, the building of his church is never askew. God knows what he's doing. A house or a church without Christ as chief cornerstone is a house built upon sand that will shift, that will shake, and will ultimately crumble. The passage we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 3.11, it says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Beware of the house built on anything but Christ. That goes for a church collectively. It goes for our own families. Beware of the house built on anything besides Christ. That's why we, as, we use our discernment and we realize not all churches are churches. Not all believers are believers. Because built outside of Christ, it's not it. It is not the true church. Any church that does not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a church. And, and most likely its members are not part of the global body of believers that make up the true universal church. To be the true church, it must be built on the right foundation with the right cornerstone, which is Christ. Look at verses 21 and 22, more of this construction imagery. Verse 21, the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple. In verse 22, it says that we are being fitted together or built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. This holy temple and this dwelling place in both these verses. Well, the temple, this temple imagery takes us back to the tabernacle and the temple of Old Testament times. You think through that and what happened in the tabernacle and the temple. Really specifically, not the whole temple grounds, but specifically referring to the inner sanctuary where God dwelt and where God manifested his glory to his people. But it says that God is building us into a holy temple because that temple is no longer here. That tabernacle is long gone. So we are being built or growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Remember the end of 1 Corinthians 3, the passage we read earlier? I think it was verses 16 and 17. It says that the church is the temple of God where the Holy Spirit dwells. Remember he said, do you not know that you are the temple of God? That's talking about the church. The collective body of believers, they are the temple of God. And now God dwells in his church. Not in a temple and a tabernacle that no longer exist and aren't constructed anymore. He dwells in his church. We are the temple. Notice in verse 21, though, as well, what kind of temple it is. A holy temple. A holy temple. You say, wait, how can the church be the holy temple of God? Because look around. A bunch of sinners in a holy temple. How does that work? 
2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made him, Christ, to be sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See, if we, if it was our righteousness, if it was our holiness that makes it a holy temple, we would have a church, according to Isaiah, we would have a church of filthy rags. But it's not our holiness, it's not our goodness, it's Christ's holiness, his righteousness imputed to us that makes this a holy temple in the eyes of God because it's not our righteousness that God sees, it is the righteousness of Christ given to us. That's what makes us a holy temple. Verse 22, he refers to it as a dwelling place of God in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Think back to the dwelling place of the temple and the tabernacle in old times. Where were Gentiles? They couldn't get near it. There was a special place for them out to the side, away from it. Far away, as we, as we read earlier in Ephesians 2. Formerly, Gentiles could not go near the dwelling place of God. But check this out. Watch what he's saying here. You formerly could not come near the dwelling place of God, but now through Christ and through the building up of his church, you are the dwelling place of God. See the huge transition there? You couldn't even get near the dwelling place of God before, but now in Christ, you are the dwelling place. We collectively being the dwelling place of God, and the word here for dwelling place implies a permanent dwelling. A permanent dwelling that God has with his people. That happens in two ways. It happens now in the sense that 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that our bodies are a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. How long does the Holy Spirit dwell with us, by the way? Forever. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. So it hap it's happening now, but it's also happening in the future as well. Revelation 21.3 tells us, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will eternally dwell in and with his church. We are the dwelling place of God. The holy temple that he is constructing us to be. So we've looked through these verses and, and seen the construction imagery there. I want to take you back through the verses now and show you God's current action. There's three verbs here specifically that are in the present tense. Meaning, what God is doing in the church, he's doing when? Now. He's doing now. Look at the verb for in verse 21. He says, being fitted together. You as the church are being fitted together. That's present tense. He says, grows into a holy temple. The word grow, present tense. Verse 22, in whom you also are being built together, present tense. God's work in the church is not done and over with. It's happening now. It's not just for a later time, though it is for a later time also. It's not just for that time. God's work in the church is happening now. In verse 20, he says, I've laid the foundation. What God has done in the past secures what he's doing now in us. That the foundation is laid, the apostles and prophets, with Christ as the cornerstone, and we now are being built up as the structure of the church. I want to talk about that verb in verse 21. He says, in whom the whole building being fitted together. An interesting present verb in the Greek. The, the, the Greek word is sunar malagumene. And it means to skillfully fit together. 
God is skillfully fitting together his people. Think of it in this way. God doesn't just dump the puzzle pieces onto the table and call it a church. There's a tangled hodgepodge of nothing. There it is. No, no, no. God, according to this word here, he skillfully fits it together. He takes each jagged piece of the puzzle. And is that not what we are? Jagged pieces, some of the ends cut off and some little goofy looking and all sorts. And he takes the jagged pieces and he connects them with other jagged pieces until what happens? You see this beautiful picture of the church, like putting a puzzle together. He is skillfully connecting my piece of the puzzle with your piece of the puzzle, and he's weaving us together for his church. See, I'm a piece. You're a piece of the puzzle. There's pieces of the puzzle in in Asia and Africa and Europe and all parts of the world. Some pieces are big. Some pieces are small. Each piece is is a slightly different color with a different appearance, with different abilities. But God takes them all and he skillfully fits them together. And he builds his church. A beautiful picture of what God does with us. We're not talking about the church as some entity. We're talking about the church as us. Then the second present verb here, he says it grows into a holy temple. This word grows gives us another, kind of another angle to look at this. Because the word grow implies what? That the church is alive. It's a living organism. It's not to be dead and lifeless. It's alive. It is growing. And Paul likens the human body, or likens the church to the human body with the illustration that he gives us in 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about there being many different parts of the body, the hand and the foot and the eye and the nose. And he talks about all these different parts being important, where the eye can't say to the nose, you know, get out of here, we don't need you anymore. The hand can't say, I'm more important than the foot. No, he says God takes all these pieces and parts of the body as your your human body and he puts them together and it's growing and it's developing and that's exactly what he's doing in the church. No piece or part of the body being more important. No one piece can run off and proclaim itself to be the church. No one piece can run off and claim itself to be more important. As he says in 1 Corinthians 12, the body has many members but only one body. And all parts of that body must work under the head, who is who? Jesus Christ, the head. And it's that way that we grow as the church, when the parts work together under the head. The last present verb here, verse 22, in whom you also are being built together. You are being constructed, you are being built together. What must a builder have to build? He's got to have tools. He's got to have materials, right? Something with which to, to construct with. What are God's materials to build his church? We are. We are the materials, the tools of God to build his church. Maybe some are the studs. Guys, don't take that the wrong way. Some are electrical outlets, some are roof trusses, some of us are shingles, some are carpet, some are, some are door hinges. Personally, I think that maybe I am one of those little brad nails that holds in your baseboard. 
Not extremely significant. You can hardly even see it from there, can you? Not extremely significant, but has a job to do. I hold up my little part of the baseboard in God's household. It keeps me humble that way. Just a little brad nail. And if I'm just a little brad nail, I want to be the best little brad nail I can possibly be. Because I want God to use me to build his kingdom, to build his house. The point is, whatever part of the structure you think you may be, the point is that God takes all those different materials and in his sovereignty, he builds together his church. All the different pieces and parts and he constructs it and builds up his church. Before we move on here, there's a question though that we must ask and answer. Because we read through these verses here in Ephesians 2 And it looks like God is doing all the work, right? It looks like he's doing all the work and we're passive. He is fitting the church together. He is building it. He is growing the church. And you think to yourself, wait a second, where do I fit in the process of building? Because I know from the scope of scripture that I am supposed to be actively working to build up Christ's church as well. And that's true. Yes, you are. Yes, we are working as hard as we possibly can to build up the church of God, to encourage believers, to to share the gospel, to bring other people in to the household of God that they would trust in Christ too. We are to work as hard as we can for that. But I want to try to clarify something and maybe bring in another verse to help do that. Psalm 127.1 says this. Psalm 127.1. It says, Except the Lord builds the house... They labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And I think this is the key. You say, well, God's doing the building, but I know I fit in somewhere. I know I'm supposed to build also. And I think this is the key. It says, the Lord builds, except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. We labor, but God builds. And there is a difference. We labor and God builds. You all have experienced the difference between laboring and actually building. Because we've all done a project at one time or another. And we work and we work and we're sweating and we're bleeding and we're, we've poured our heart and soul into this and problem comes up and, and something goes different and it brings up another problem and you get done with the day and you say, I labored all day and I have so little to show for it. It's like I built nothing. But I worked so hard. That's the difference between laboring and building. And when we come to God's kingdom, we are to labor as hard as we can. But we have to realize that our labor won't be building unless God does the work. Unless God builds the house. Without God building it, our labor is just laborious work. And this parallels what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 as well. We read this earlier. Remember when he said, some plant the seed? Some come along and water the seed. And should you plant as well as you can? Yes. Should you water as well as you can? Yes. But what brings the growth? God brings the increase. God brings the growth. Not us. We plant. We labor. God builds his church. And it has to be him building it. Since we know God is building, 
therefore we labor. That's the hope we have. Because God tells us he's building his church. So when we go out and labor, we know we're not working in vain because God has said, I'm building my church. Jesus said back in Matthew 16, I will build my church. So we go with the hope, with with the knowledge that God is building, therefore we can work hard. We know we cannot build without God, therefore we trust that he will use our work. Done with the right spirit and motivation. Think of 1 Corinthians 13. Where he says, I can do all these great things. If I don't do it with love, it's nothing. So our work done with the right spirit and motivation, we trust that God will use that to skillfully build his church. So we've seen the construction imagery through this. We've seen current action of God. I want to show you one more. And that is the community spirit that we are to have as God builds his church. Notice these words in these, in these, pass, in this, these verses. You are fellow citizens with the saints, with the saints, members. You see the word together twice, and you see the phrase whole building. There is to be a community spirit in this. There is no church of one. Doesn't exist. Well, I'm going to do church on my own. You can't. There is no church of one. One, individuality, isolation, and independence are not characteristics of a healthy Christian community. We are a universal body of millions of members. But this is where it gets challenging because if the church is only universal, you will feel isolated. Have you ever tried to connect with universal people? Have you ever tried to connect with people in that broad of a scope? You can't. You feel isolated and disconnected because it's impossible to tangibly connect with with a group so expansive. Enter the local church. Right? That's why this body is so important. Because it's here that we rub shoulders with people that are going in the same direction. It's here that we study the same word of God, that we believe the same core doctrines of the faith, that we are united in the same mission to reach the lost and to, to care for the needy. You can't connect with the universal church at large, but you can connect with a local church, the body of Christ right next door to you. Go in your Bibles quickly to Hebrews chapter 10. A familiar passage, but just a terrific parallel with what's going on here in Ephesians 2. Hebrews 10, we'll start in verse number 19 and read through verse 25. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Watch these next two verses. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That's what we're to be doing. Stirring each other up to love and to good works. Assembling together so that we might encourage one another on their journey with Christ. You can't do that with a universal church. 
You can't connect on that level. But you can meet and learn and encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ in your local church. That's why God's given to us Port St. Lucie Bible Church. You have a place, you have a role in this group of believers. You remember the puzzle analogy earlier? How God is skillfully fitting together all the different pieces? Who's involved in that? Is it just the pastors? Is it, is it the elders and the deacons? Is it skilled employees? No. Look at verse 21. Look what, what two words are right before it says we are being fitted together. It says in whom the whole building, the whole structure is being fitted together. Every piece finds a place in God's master plan of the church. The whole building has a spot. The whole building has a place to be. You say, well, I'm kind of that piece of the puzzle that doesn't quite feel like I fit. I, I, I'm, I'm strange. I'm awkward. I don't, I don't connect with people. Take heart. Because every piece finds a place to interlock with another piece. Until the beautiful picture of the church is constructed. Because if you've ever done a puzzle, you can't just take one piece and think you have a good concept of what the puzzle looks like. No one piece gives you the whole picture. But you start putting the pieces together and what do you see? Exactly what you're meant to see. Charles Spurgeon in his devotional book entitled Morning by Morning, he says this, Christians who isolate themselves and walk alone are very liable to get drowsy. Keep Christian company and you will be kept wakeful by it and refreshed and encouraged to make quicker progress on the road to heaven. That's good advice. That's good advice. I think one of the most important words for the church is together. To foster and develop that community spirit. To appreciate what God is doing in other people as we come alongside them and see how God is fitting those pieces and those building materials together to build his church. Have you ever been part of a building project? Maybe a, maybe a dollhouse, a doghouse, your own house. Maybe a church, even, that you've attended at one time or another. It's a lot of work, isn't it? A building project is no joke. And whether you realize it or not, right now, you think, well, I'm, I'm really nothing. Whether you realize it or not, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are part of God's greatest building project, the church. You're a part of it. As a believer in Jesus Christ. There's two verses at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. And it's kind of a benediction. I want you to read it with me. It's on the screen for us. Ephesians 3 verses 20 and 21. Would you read together? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What on earth is God doing in the church? He is currently building up the church so that it will bring him glory by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. You're a part of that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of your church. For Christ and the gift of his life to secure us as part of the church. 
for the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. For the blessing that it is to to call ourselves one of the redeemed. A child of God. A member of the household of God. Lord, I pray that we would take this encouragement about the household that you are building. We would take it and do our part to build. Do our part to labor for your house. And that this would encourage us to trust you more. That it would encourage us to to have the confidence to rely on you. That you know what you're doing in your church. It's, it's It's a crazy and wacky world. But we can be confident that you are still at work. Because you have built your church on the foundation and you are building it. You're constructing us and building us together. May we grow in that. May we do our part. May you inspire us to live as Christ would live. It's in your name we pray. Amen.